Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. Thank you very much indeed, Sam, and thank you all for being here this evening. I've already heard such a lot about the series so far that I'm feeling thoroughly intimidated by now. And I hope that what is said this evening will in some sense dovetail with what you've already heard and what you've already been encouraged to reflect on. The topics addressed in this series are about as broad as they could be. And to suggest that anyone can sensibly talk about a new heaven and a new earth suggests um, a level of confidence in the speaker which I'm not entirely sure is justified. But I'll do my best knowing that this is all within the rubric of what are we living for and what do we mean by meaning. Now, if I travel in a country whose alphabet I don't know, I look at the signs at the railway station or the airport, and I ask, what do they mean? And to that, there's a fairly simple kind of answer. You find the local person who knows the alphabet, who knows the language, and who can simply shift from one gear to another and tell you in your own terms what this means. Or again, you may go to another country, another context, where the road signs work slightly differently. You look with some bafflement at a large red symbol staring you in the face on a road, and you think, what does that mean? And once again, there's a fairly simple kind of answer. Somebody can decipher that for you and can tell you in your own terms what it means. That's a no entry sign. That's a no right turn sign or whatever it may be. So some what does it mean questions have a relatively straightforward response in terms of translating or deciphering. But beyond that, you're in a very different realm. You come out of watching an experimental play and you turn to your friend and say, what did that mean? And the answer is not going to be just deciphering or translating. If there is an answer, it'll be much more in terms of saying, did you hear that? Did you notice that? Is there a connection between that and that? And a conversation may go on for quite a long time. To talk about meaning in terms of our human action overall is a great deal more like that than it is like any process of 
translating or deciphering. To want to talk about human meaning is to want to have a certain kind of human conversation rather than to have a certain kind of answer. And that's where I'm beginning in reflecting on what a new heaven and a new earth might be about. I think here of the famous story of T.S. Eliot reading his Ash Wednesday poems to a student audience in the 1930s and having the predictable question from an enthusiastic student, Mr. Eliot, what exactly do you mean by saying Lady Three White Leopards sat under a juniper tree? And Eliot staring at him and saying, young man, I meant Lady Three White Leopards sat under a juniper tree. Or the story about the composer who has just played through on the piano a new composition to be asked, what does it mean? At which point he plays it again. What's going on there in terms of what does it mean is very much a sense that the boundaries of your field of vision, internal and external, have been shifted. There is more to see. There is more to absorb and think about. There is more to talk about. And when we speak of the promise of a new heaven and a new earth as part of the adventure of meaning and of faith, it's that which comes to mind. An invitation to a new kind of conversation, the recognition of a new kind of perspective. But not just any new kind of perspective. And this is where we have to narrow it down a little bit further. When I want to have more conversation about a challenging play or piece of music or poem that I've read or whatever it may be, when I want to have more conversation, it's because of a sense that this new perspective, this new world into which I've stepped or which has stepped into me, is something which ought to be and could be significantly, even transformingly, reconciling. Let me pause on that a bit. When I sense that a work of art like that requires of me more time spent, more talk, more thought. It's because of a glimpse of some kind of deeper belonging that it suggests for me or invites me into. Not just something which remains totally baffling, totally alien, but something whose very strangeness tells me this is worth the spending of time. The newness here is, yes, the heaven and the earth that I know, but also not quite as I thought I knew it. The boundaries are not where I thought they were. 
and yet the ground on which we stand remains recognizable in some way. And so part of what I want to suggest this evening, reflecting on this subject, is that when we think about meaning in relation to our lives, we think about what is not just a plan or a project, not even just a process, but about the promise of belonging or homecoming, inhabiting where we are in a different and deeper way. Sometimes people talk as if thinking life has a meaning is equivalent to believing my life has a purpose. Well, I'm a bit agnostic about whether my life has a purpose in that sense. Theologically speaking, I believe the purpose of my life is to glorify God, which is no help at all, really, in making decisions day by day. <laughs> but that is, to my mind, the purpose that most matters. It would be possible, I suppose, to believe that the purpose of my life was to be Archbishop of Canterbury, which would be a very sad reflection. <laughs> but I want to step sideways from that language of plan and purpose and try to stay with that sense of meaning as having something to do with belonging with the capacity, the liberty, to be where we are. And it may be that that's why some artists, some poets, talk about art itself as a kind of atonement. Eliot uses the word, the great Geoffrey Hill used the same language. Atonement in the sense that here is something that enables me to be less of a stranger in my world. And perhaps that's a way into thinking about meaning that can set off a rather different chain of associations from the language of plan or purpose. What if meaning emerges simply in learning not to be a stranger in the world? And of course, as we think about that, it can take us into thinking about what it is that we are habitually strange to, ourselves, our neighbors, our physical environment, our creator. But more of that later on. For present purposes, what matters is the idea that to grow in a sense of human meaning is to grow in a sense that I am not a stranger in the world, that there are perspectives and dimensions of my thinking and feeling and seeing which will make me less of a stranger, and that to live meaningfully is to grow in the habits and actions that shape that homecoming, that overcoming of estrangement. To live meaningfully is to learn how to pass time 
in the world in such a way that the past and the future are drawn more into the present to live where I am, as I am, when I am, out of the depths of that moment. Read the Gospels and you'll see that the teaching of Jesus returns in various different ways to that kind of challenge. Are we able to live where we are without estrangement? Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says to his friends, tomorrow's worries are tomorrow's business. You are called to be there to respond and attend today. And in the same way, Jesus cuts through the barriers that are erected by a guilty or a traumatized past to ask, what do you want here and now? What do you say for yourself here and now? Confronted with a man who's been sick for over 30 years, Jesus says probingly, thoughtfully, you might imagine, so do you want to be healed? Here and now, what is your desire to inhabit the world in a healed way? And the presence of Jesus, as I say, cuts through those barriers and chains and restrictions that prevent us being where we are who we are, when we are. Similarly, Jesus will tell those enigmatic and brief parables of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like an unimaginably precious jewel. When someone sees that, they sell all they have to buy it. The jewel is not there to be resold at a profit, one imagines. The jewel is there and desirable and everything is worth laying down for the sake of that jewel, that present discovery. And the curious thing is that Jesus' own life and death and resurrection come to be a kind of fleshing out of those parables. The risen Jesus sits and eats with his friends, marked by his past, by the wounds of his suffering, offering a future of liberation. But here and now, quite simply, breaking bread with those he loves and who love him. The resurrection itself is the moment of the kingdom, the moment of a new heaven and a new earth, the moment 
where the grief, the loss, and the horror of the past is not denied, but held, sat with, included, worked upon by new light, new grace. Meaning is living without estrangement, living in what another religious tradition calls non-duality, which doesn't mean absorption into what's around us, but simply living in a sense of not being at odds with and in tension with everything and everyone around us and beyond us. It's apprehending the reality in which we stand in a way that's beyond function and exchange, beyond the ambitions of the ego and the search for profit, beyond calculations of usefulness and profitability, it's living with a sense that what is real before us is worth being there for. What is real before us is what we belong with and must learn to sit with, to love, and to work with. What is loved and valued is loved and valued as it is, not just for some purpose it may serve for us. Another insight from the world of the artist. And an insight, of course, which has echoes in aspects of the great spiritual tradition. My God, I love thee, not because I hope for heaven thereby, says the hymn, so frequently mispunctuated in people's imaginations as my God, I love thee, not because I hope for heaven thereby. <laughs> but it's also reflected in the language of some of the great medieval German mystics who liked to say that God is ohne warum, without a why. Why God? Why our relation with God? Ohne warum, without a why. It is as it is. And we value and we love, we attend and attune ourselves to what is for its own sake. One of the discussions that I've had in past years with Richard Dawkins, has there have been a few, <laughs> has been about what belief in a divine creator adds to the world. And Richard Dawkins at his most passionate will say something like this. The world as we know it is complex, beautiful, staggeringly intricate, wonderful to contemplate and study. Why spoil that by introducing some extraneous bit of explanation that nobody understands, which is the action of God? It's actually not a bad question, but the answer surely is 
that to speak of God in relation to the intricacy and beauty of creation is not to latch on some incomprehensible extra element, but to say that the very density of beauty and intricacy opens out to horizon after horizon after horizon. And in that process of moving into the depth of what is there, you may begin to see why the language of God comes into play. Not by way of saying, there's a strange thing, and there's a complicated thing. We need a very unusual explanation for that. Oh, I know. Let's think of God but to move more and more deeply into the awareness of what is in appreciation of it for its own sake, not for how it makes me feel or what it makes me think, what it makes me able to do, first and foremost, in presence, in that non-estranged way of being with and in the world inhabiting the world in a kind of reconciliation and a kind of peace. So to speak of the new heaven and the new earth is, I believe, to speak of the possibility open to us as human beings of being brought back to where we are and who we are and when we are by the grace of God, to let go of the compulsion to possess or control the future before us, to find in what is before us not simply something that makes us happy or that satisfies us, but something worth gazing into. As we gaze into it, that new perspective that new horizon becomes new heaven and new earth. And to refer once again to T.S. Eliot, it's about returning to the place where we started and knowing it for the first time. The long detour of thinking through myself and my world and my creator, bringing me back to this moment where the familiar suddenly opens up and I find it both strange and inviting and recognizable. Many of you will be aware of the kind of talk which speaks of Christian worship as an experience of heaven on earth. Many of you will find that your experience of Christian worship doesn't instantly suggest that that's a natural way of talking about it. And yet, if we think about what the basic reality of worship is, perhaps we can make some sense of this, even if, with all due respect to what goes on in some wonderful churches, it doesn't always feel like that. In worship, we enter, to borrow from yet another religious tradition, we enter a moment of Sabbath. And for the Orthodox Jew, the experience of Sabbath 
is precisely the experience of stepping back from anything that is busy, useful, and productive in order simply for 24 hours to do what has to be done while praising God. To do what has to be done while praising God. Perhaps we should try reconfiguring how we think about our acts of worship in those terms. Doing what has to be done while praising God. We are gathered here to eat and drink together, praising God. We are gathered here to share the story that holds us together of God's dealings with us, praising God. What matters is what is here and now. We are absolved as we gather so that the bonds and fetters of guilt or trauma can for a moment be set aside. We are gathered so that some unimaginable future, which we don't control, can draw nearer to us. And we are gathered simply to be here and to let all that happen and to let the past and the future, as I said about the story of Jesus himself, fold into this moment of presence with the risen Lord. Heaven on earth. We don't, at least I hope we don't, go out from our acts of worship and take from our pockets the equivalent of a Fitbit and calculate just how much better we are off spiritually after the last hour. We do what has to be done while praising God. And I think, too, of those haunting words in the medieval carol, there is no rose of such virtue as is the rose that bare Jesu. For in that rose contained was heaven and earth in little space. Heaven and earth in little space. What is in the womb of the Virgin is the new world, is the new horizon, the new way of seeing and being, of belonging. In the womb of the Virgin is atonement, is that which makes us no longer strangers to ourselves or our neighbours or our God. And of course, to speak of a new heaven and a new earth as we read in the book of Revelation where that phrase appears, is to say the old has passed away. The new heaven and the new earth dissolve the idea of a heaven or a God distant and alien to us. A heaven that is far away and hard to get to. A God whose attention is normally elsewhere and who has to be cajoled into noticing us. The new heaven and the new vision of God coming with it. Those are the vision of the depths that open up in the world as we get over our estrangement from it not to reduce or absorb heaven or God into earth, anything but 
are to understand that within, behind every phenomenon, every face, every sight we encounter, there is a mystery waiting for us to look into it. A new heaven, for the old has passed away, the heaven of distance and utter alienation, and a new earth, because the idea of earth as a system of hostile natural forces that somehow press in upon the dignity and freedom of humans, that gives way to the vision of an earth in which we fully belong, to and with which we're wholly responsible. An environment which feeds us and which we feed. And part of the reason for thinking in terms of the new heaven and the new earth, as I've outlined them, is of course that those old models of heaven and earth are part of what generates in us the fear, the narrowness, the constraint, the obsession which wrecks our lives and deepens our estrangement. God and heaven are far away. Let us then turn our eyes away from what is in front of them and look into the middle distance where surely, surely we may catch a glimpse of that distant reality which so eludes us. Let the present fall away so that we can look more freely at what is more truly real. And so, trampling on the debris of a forgotten earth, we try to climb to heaven. That's why we need a new heaven. Or, earth is a place of struggle where our main task is to establish our security at the expense of everyone and everything else within the world system. So we build around ourselves those walls that keep us safe from all that might threaten our privilege and our security. And once again, outside those walls, the debris builds up of a world we have despised, exploited, and sought to use for our own possession and protection. The new heaven and the new earth, the vision of belonging and being beyond estrangement, these things are where we begin to derive the energy that will take us away from the destructive implications of the old heaven and the old earth the myths of God's alien distance and default hostility, the myths of an earth simply given us to manipulate. Yesterday on Parliament Hill, 10 representatives of world faiths gathered to read in public for the first time 
10 Principles for Climate Repentance. After about three days of really intense discussion among the representatives of the different faiths, we agreed that what we wanted to begin with was effectively a statement of a new heaven and a new earth. To begin by saying, the earth is not our possession. And it's extraordinary what flows from that, once you've got it clear. What flows from it not only in terms of how we relate to our own environment, that urgent question which is, I hope, keeping a lot of people awake in Egypt at the moment. It's the root also of many of the pathologies, the tangles, the dead ends in which we live with one another. The earth is not our possession. And somehow, to let go of that myth opens our hands not only to touch the things of this world in a new way, but to touch one another in a new way. Thinking of the new heaven and the new earth as what we are to live for, as giving and defining our meaning as human selves. That has everything to do, not only with the hope for a return, as I've said, to where we are, a folding in of our energy and vision into who we are and where and when we are. It also drives us down towards the roots of action that is not self-deluding and self-serving and thus ineffectual. It drives us down towards the roots of action which derives from the sense of recognition and connection with what is before us in the new heaven and the new earth, in what one early apocryphal Christian text calls the kingdom that is spread abroad on the face of the earth, though people refuse to see it. We talk a lot, and very rightly, about justice. But I wonder if we need at times to remind ourselves that justice begins in what I'll call just seeing, a truthful and appropriate looking at where we are, a truthful and appropriate vision, a just perceiving and a just valuing of our world and ourselves is where active doing and conserving justice begin. As we are liberated from the agenda we set ourselves of acquisition and avoidance, greed and defensiveness. Dig deeper than those reactions. Dig deeper towards that belonging, that non-estrangement from the world, and the action that arises is qualitatively other. And that is very much the task of those who seek to practice their faith. 
Practicing our faith is not simply a matter of performing the works required of us. We'll come to that. But the first practice is to inhabit, to be where we are, free from acquisition and avoidance, free from greed and defensiveness, to recognize that the possibility opens up for us of living beyond estrangement. We are given the grace to inhabit our world. And the practices of our faith reinforce that liberty to inhabit. Out of that come the acts which transform our relations and transfigure the possibilities of where and how we live in the world. So, attempting to draw this together just a little, I've been suggesting that to talk about meaning in our lives is not exactly to talk about where we find a plan, a project, a purpose in the ordinary sense. To talk about meaning may be a great deal more to do with stepping into a new frame of seeing and being set free to sit, to stand, to be where we are. To forget for this time, this Sabbath time, that we're not obliged to make anything of this, but that we are invited to grow into it. And it's to think about what kinds of habit in and out of religious activity intensify and strengthen that capacity to inhabit. To find meaning, I've suggested, is in some sense a homecoming. Coming to be where we are and who and when we are. A homecoming not in the sense that then it's all over and we are somehow absolved from any other action or struggle or whatever. No, it's to seek for and we hope and pray to find the capacity to live with that kind of detachment which is also the deepest kind of belonging. Detachment from our obsessions, from our terrors and our traumas. No simple narrative of purpose. The point of my life is X. Though you could say the point of my life is to be here. The point of my life is now to receive the gift of living on the far side of estrangement. The point of my life is atonement, reconciliation, being at one here. And from that come the acts, the struggles, yes, the tensions and the conflicts. But with all that, the practices that keep us coming back to our entry point into a new horizon, into that capacity to be here, to be before the truth, and to let the truth be true in us now. There is the new heaven and the new earth. The old have passed away.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more.